When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. We're recording on a Monday afternoon and my name is Stephen Railston and I'm coming to you after Manchester United were defeated 1-0 down in London. Back-to-back defeats in the Premier League, Brighton and to West Ham. And it was a a very, very disappointing afternoon. A really bad mistake from David De Gea, as we'll discuss throughout the next 40 minutes. And I'm sure we'll get stuck in because it was that bad. I'm with Samuel Luckhurst and Tyrone Marshall, my two colleagues who are at the London Stadium down in the capital. Again, we've been all over the place in the last few weeks. So Samuel, how are you first before we get stuck into it? I'm very well, thank you. I think my my southern roots have really gone gone to the core this week. We, we even had uh, uh, bangers and mash and, and mushy peas at halftime at West Ham. I was expecting jelly deals to be served uh, uh, sorry, that was that was before the game. I was expecting jelly eels to be served at half time, but if, if anyone's actually been there, you'll realise uh, what a pain it is to get back back down to the press room. It's uh, it's not the best infrastructure at London Stadium. Did you bring your binoculars, Samuel? I didn't. I didn't. But uh, at the we Stadium, we. I, I think we're I think we're certainly linesman material because we could see that the, the ball had gone out for that um yeah, Antonio kick, uh, yeah. which which the lines the, the linesman somehow managed to uh, to miss but uh, yeah it's it's not the it's 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 a very different experience going to West Ham compared to going to West Ham when they played at the Berlin ground uh, mostly for the better but in terms of the I, I suppose from the purist aspect of it it's 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 not the best it is quite a, a sterile environment. Did you enjoy the food, the on-brand food in the press box yesterday, uh, Ty? I did. Yeah, it felt like a very, uh, a very cockney day, to be honest. What with the uh, the bangers and mash, it feels to me like West Ham are like the, the London bunting. club, aren't they? Yeah. The bunting. They are the epitome of like <clears throat> of of London to me. That is the most London club, certainly in the top flight. You can get a stirring rendition of the the national anthem if you're into that sort of thing. And it's fair to say the away end wasn't particularly into that sort of thing. And I did enjoy, actually, I was, um, I didn't tell Samuel this, but I was getting on the underground to go to um, to Stratford, to, to West Ham's ground, in, and uh, getting on sort of East London already in Allgate. And there was uh, an old boy on the uh, underground platform wearing his sharp suit, Trilby hat on still, must have been 70s or 80s, walking around muttering to himself that he was going to break various people's legs. <laughs> uh, anyone who went near him was going to get his head kicked in. It was like he was a... A gangster who couldn't part with ways. I'm sure 30 years ago, he was probably mates with Ronnie Cray, but uh, didn't have quite the same intimidation factor, but he had a, a pure London accent and just walking around muttering that 
people were going to have their legs broken and, and all sorts done to them. And it was um, it was quite funny more than that. Uh, There's some bizarre characters in London. There is that I was, when I was there the other month, I walked past this guy and I'm coming home from my night out and he was saying some things to me that I can't repeat. And he uh, definitely had a few glasses of wine as referenced on the last podcast for Poland. So maybe something else. Anyways, we had to discuss the football <clears> day, <throat> not the funny characters in the capital. And there's only one place to start, Samuel, and that's obviously David De Gea. Um, he made that mistake in the 26th minute. Ben Rama's thrown goal, not thrown goal, threw into the half, and he's surrounded by players. So around four or five players around him. They invite him to shoot because they think De Gea's going to have this covered. It's no problem. And Ben Rama hits it. It trickles. It's a poor shot. It's almost like a pass. And somehow it trickles over De Gea's hands. Um, I don't think West Ham fans thought it was going to go in. I don't think Ben Rama thought it was going in. I don't think anyone in the stadium you guys in the press box thought it was going to go in. Somehow it did. The hair's face first, the grass uh, lying down. Rashford's got his hands on his head. It was disastrous, wasn't it, Samuel? And if they continue with him next season, that is surely going to be a colossus mistake. Well, when it went in, there was some in the press box who instinctively put their, <clears throat> excuse me, their, their hands to their, to their head uh, out of disbelief, out of sympathy. I think it was more the disbelief of it. And I think Rob Dawson, who was sat behind us, he, he tweeted that there, there were even like some sighs from West Ham fans in the immediate reaction to side Ben Rama's shot because they just um, dismissed it as, as 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 a back pass that that was harmless. I mean, I remember years ago, Tyra might remember in the nineties, Stan Collymore at Ewood Park, he had this this shot that was going at a similar rate of knots, really, or lack of uh, knots. And uh, because of the bobble, it went over Tim Flowers and it went in and Colin Moore had actually turned away. So he didn't didn't see it go in and he turned around. And he was absolutely astounded that uh, that he'd been credited with a goal. Ben Rama, at least, was was facing De Gea, so he, he did see it go in. But it was just, I mean, it, it is inexplicable. There's there's no, trying to explain it is, is, is pretty difficult, really. I mean, sometimes a keeper, I mean, Massimo Taibi did this after his infamous uh, howler against Matt Letizia, where it's it's almost the cliche that the keeper checks their studs as if you know the, the studs are to blame. But when you look at the replay, it's nothing to do with the studs. It's nothing to do with the turf. It's just the keeper has has just badly, badly misjudged it. I, he doesn't move his feet quickly enough, which is a criticism that has been levelled at the hair a number of times in in recent seasons. But he still he still gets a hand to it and. I can't understand how the ball has, has gone through his hand there. And, and sometimes that happens with a goalkeeping error. One of De Gea's worst at Watford a few years ago, Ty coin phrase, he had, he had hologram hands for that one. And De Gea's immediately, a goalkeeper knows when it's it's solely their fault because they just bury, they try to bury their face in the turf. It's, it's like they're a, a mole trying to dig a hole there. And, it, it was just, it was just surreal. Uh, it was, it was like a, it was like a tail ender coming up against a, a boulder and completely misreading a, a slow delivery and b- being bowled out. It was, it was just, it was, it was bizarre, and the ramifications of it were were felt by United because they lost the game. Up until then, I thought they played quite decently. They created opportunities. We shouldn't overlook the fact that their their profligacy was a really big problem again. And the atmosphere at that stadium is, it can be humdrum. It has improved in recent years after a couple of um, difficult years for West Ham fans adjusting to the stadium and and, and still pining for, for the Berlin ground. 
and I suppose where they've got the semi-final against AZ Alkmaar at home on Thursday, that's that's that that's the game that is going to stir them more. But after the goal went in, the atmosphere, the crowd were lifted by it. Um, it's a strange atmosphere anyway, uh, just because it was a stadium that was built for the Olympics and the away section is is very bizarre. That you're it's it's divided into two and you're kind of separated by by this rather expansive platform, which I think is where the Olympic flame rested um, during the 2012 games. So it's difficult to generate an atmosphere anyway. Uh, but, but De Gea lifted West Ham. West Ham were the better team after the goal went in. And United, again, it was somewhat similar to Brentford in a strange way in that although they didn't get battered and they only lost 1-0, the goalkeeper dropped Dolly and the players didn't have the coping mechanisms uh, to, to to recover from that setback. And there have been games this season that United have won from, from losing. But watching them now, all of a sudden, you don't really expect them to salvage games. And my my, my piece, which is try, you know, the aim is to get it um, live not, not long after the final whistle, it was pretty much done before full time because the way the game was panning out, I, I just didn't see United getting anything from it. And again, the, the mental fragility of this team, although the mentality has improved this season, there is still a, a hell of a long way to go there because it's not where it needs to be. There are too many characters who aren't up to it and you know, we'll get more into it regarding De Gea. But when you've got problems at both ends of... Um, forwards not scoring goals and you've got a goalkeeper who has, has dropped too many clangers really for in, in, in one season then if that form or lack of form is being sustained you are not going to be winning any games the players didn't respond Ty uh, obviously after the mistake as Samuel said and it decided the game but we are talking about the here again just weeks after the Sevilla game where his performance was awful Past Harry Maguire, that was obviously we discussed that and who was to blame. But then the third goal when he kind of rushed out and it was bizarre that miss kick, just almost as bizarre as a save or lack of save against West Ham. And we discussed this kind of contract negotiations and look, look, he's still in talks with the club and he, his contract expires at the end of the season. But surely it's kind of contradictory of what Ten Nag stands for. He's supposed to be this ruthless manager that has high standards, and currently at the moment De Gea isn't meeting those standards. And I argued in my piece this afternoon that it's going to put his rebuild at risk, isn't it? Because if he continues with De Gea, surely that's going to limit the progress this team can make because he's quite deeply flawed as a goalkeeper in 2023. Yeah, he, you know the the his job role has has moved on certainly at the highest level from from what he can offer. I mean, he began both halves last night by passing straight to a West Ham player, Declan Rice in the first half and Antonio in the second, and he's clearly a compromise for for Ten Hag. He he doesn't fit what he really wants from a goalkeeper. Tanaga's had to compromise and, and has basically accepted that he's an elite shot stopper and just isn't great with his feet. But at the moment, he's making errors with his feet and errors with his hands and, and it is becoming a problem. The issue is, you're right, it does compromise his rebuild. But the reality is a rebuild can't be completed in, in, in two summers, really. You know, United, we know they are, certainly in general, they were sailing close to the wind with FFP. No matter who owns the club this summer, I don't think there's going to be a war chest. I think, look at the way Newcastle have approached it. Those days are are over, really, with, with the cost controls now and, and FFP. Even if Qatar come in, they're not going to hand Tenag 500 million and say, go and spend it, because it, it's just not doable the way the way that the FFP and certainly the Premier League's 
profit and sustainability rules and, and things like that and UEFA's new rules run you, you just I don't think you can really get away with it um so the the rea- the, the priority is a striker this year and, and everyone knows that and it's difficult to see how they get a striker and a goalkeeper and maybe another midfielder. I think they probably need a younger midfielder in there. So the, there are lots of lots of things that need doing, but it just it you know with the with the budget the way it is, it just can't be it can't be done in in one window. So if money was no object, I think De Gea's contract would be expiring. There'd be a, a fitting farewell for you know someone who who will go down in in the club's history for sure. You know, he set a new record last night of most experience, most appearances for a goalkeeper. He's well over five hundred now. I think he's he's in or close to the top ten of, of, of appearances. Um, and he has, you know, he saved United more times than he's cost them. Let's let's be honest. In in terms of his his career at the club, he's in credit. Um, and if money was no object, there'd be a fitting farewell on that Fulham game, and it would be let's let's move on. But money is an object, and I, I just don't think there's there's a way to make it work this summer. Um, I think. Possibly the most likely scenario is I just written, written a piece on this is that we end up in a situation that two years ago Solskjaer basically said was unsustainable, and that next year we'll have to hire and Henderson at the club all season, vying to be to be number one. Still, that'll be fun um, again, won't it? You know, it seems destined to go on forever. That you, you've got to feel sorry in a way for for Dean Henderson. I mean, I think he'd be number one now if it wasn't for for COVID. Um, you know, he was he was told he was going to be number one in in twenty twenty one twenty two. Tom Eaton was signed to be to be number two. I think De Gea would have gone on loan or, or been sold permanently. Henderson got COVID. De Gea started that season really well. Now Henderson's been doing great at Forest. We've probably have got a move this summer, but he's going to miss six months through injury. He's going to, only going to be back maybe late July. And at that point, there's very few well-run clubs who are looking for a goalkeeper. You have your goalkeeper set in stone mm. by June, really. You know, if you're still looking for a goalkeeper in late July or early August, then you're doing things wrong. And I don't think a club can necessarily bank on on Henderson being fit for the start of August when he's when he's had an operation and has had this injury for six months. So it's it's there's probably a decent chance he will end up staying at United. But maybe, you know, maybe all this misfortune pays him back at, at some point and he ends up staying. He gets a chance in the team and and he does become number one. But um, I think that's the only real way we're we're going to see a change. Unless they sign a keeper for on a, on a free or for ten million pound this summer, who turns out to, to to be an absolute bargain? I just I don't think there's um I don't think there's an ideal solution this summer to to the problem, but it is it is certainly becoming a problem because De Gea's in the same kind of slump. I mean, Samuel said it well last night. The last time De Gea finished the season this badly, he got a new contract um, <laughs> in in twenty nineteen. I think it was, wasn't it? So it was yeah. yeah. The, the same the same thing is quite probably going to be. <laughs> going to happen again that he is he is rewarded for mediocrity at, at times with with those spells but um and you know the, it's a difficult situation for the club to be in because like i say there isn't a perfect solution samuel do you think we could generally see dean henderson then because i've kind of played devil's advocate in this podcast time and time again this season and when i've ever mentioned henderson i think you both have been come on is what he said when he left the club you know it seemed like he'd mm. been his bridges because he did support us and he, he strays a line between confidence and arrogance, doesn't he, at times, and perhaps sometimes misplaced for, for what he's achieved. Um, he, he's had, a, I guess, a, an all right spell in Nottingham Forest, some good individual performances, but he's still obviously conceded a lot of goals, such as their form and where they're on the table. But could we see 
obviously De Gea leave and Henderson become number one because I guess that that for me is maybe the most pragmatic option because Henderson's going to be there. It's, it's, you don't have to buy him for anything. He's already on the books and you could allow De Gea to leave and then you could strengthen other positions with that money you would have used to, to sign a new goalkeeper. I I don't disagree with you. I mean, I've I've done the <clears throat> I've done the story today. I, I was sent the message during the game last night that that for the first time I'm not a certain De Gea will sign a new contract at United because there are genuine doubts at the club over whether to continue uh, with with trying to time down on a new deal and also whether he should be number one. I think when Ten Hag replied to a question about uh, De Gea's future last night and said that uh, he, you know, he, we, we, we want him to extend his contract, he was actually replied to a question that said, will he be your number one next season? He didn't actually say that he would. <clears throat> so there is a prospect, I suppose. It seems, seems very fanciful, but I suppose there's a possibility that De Gea signs a new contract and he's not United's number one next season or at some point during the season uh, he he is phased out. For who, I have absolutely no idea because I do not see United, as Ty said, in the same summer signing a... You're talking about a new spine altogether almost, a striker, a midfielder and a goalkeeper. It's very, very difficult to identify a goalkeeper who is ready-made for the Premier League and also ready-made to uh, replace De Gea. I suppose when United replaced Edwin van der Sar, De Gea, you wouldn't have necessarily said he was ready-made. I think he was about 20 or 21 at that time. And he hadn't had a lot of football with Atletico Madrid, maybe 18 months. So he was a very raw recruit and it was was a fabulous investment. He's been a, a great player for them. But if I was... I suppose, you know, football director, I don't think John Mert has really got quite the clout to tell Eric Ten Hag what to do. But I suppose if you were to take American parlance and talk about the general manager, where they do have a bit more authority over over coach in various American sports, you would say, what we're going to do is we're going to release the goalkeeper who is frankly past it and is limited. The goalkeeper we've got already as a potential succession plan, because we can't invest in signing a new goalkeeper this summer given priority positions elsewhere we're going to give him a chance one chance one season for him to show that he's up to it as a Man United number one if he isn't up to it there is still enough time in his contract to sell him make a good you know get good money for him next year and use that money to invest in a new long-term goalkeeper that's the way I think United should go about it but Already, we're in this position where it might, it would have been logical just to have extended De Gea's contract by one more year. That is the last contract-related um, extension he gets. You kick that can down the road, and next summer is the summer where he's let go for good, and then you sign a new goalkeeper. But the fact that they are actually, they have been actively trying to negotiate a new contract with him on a reduced salary. I mean, one, that is an admission of his decline. I, I cannot think, if, if either of you can think of an example, shout it out, I cannot think of a club negotiating a new contract with a certain starter, but for that new contract to put him on a reduced salary. Normally, it's always a bump up of some sort. With De Gea, they're acknowledging, you're not as good as you used to be, so we want to get you on a lower salary. So, you know, they... The, the answer is staring them in the face 
and really they sh- they should just be releasing him this summer and maybe they will do as i said i've, I've done that story today about the doubts at the club and really g- given his form over the last month it, it would feel extremely incongruous over the next what seven or eight weeks for United to come out and announce. We're delighted to announce that David De Gea has extended his contract by another three years and they can talk. And and Ten Hag, I mean, his form is such a problem that Ten Hag has a stock answer for for when questions are raised about his future, which is, well, he's got the highest um, number of clean sheets in the Premier League this season, which he absolutely has. And ironically enough, He's had a couple of match-winning performances against West Ham this season as well uh, in the Premier League and in the FA Cup. They were two of his best performances. But that clean sheet record belongs as much to Rafael Varane, Lissandro Martinez and Luke Shaw, pretty much the three near constants in the defence this season. Diogo Dallo contributed to it in the first months of the season. Even even Tyrell Malasio has contributed to it in a few games this season. It is a collective effort. But when you boil down to De Gea as an individual, if his shot stopping isn't at its optimum, there's nothing redeemable about his game anymore, unfortunately. Severe exposed that with all three goals uh, in, in the second leg. He can't pass. Uh, he's not commanding at set pieces, which again, West Ham preyed, of, preyed upon uh, on Sunday night. And he's a disaster when he comes outside the area. Um, unfortunately for... a once great goalkeeper and I'd always say between 2014 and 2018 he was the best goalkeeper in the world but in the last five years he has been eclipsed by Alisson and Edison in the Premier League and there are other goalkeepers out there who who are just better than him now. Tell you what he was quite a lucky boy in my opinion as well when um, Antonio turned it in the back than that. It's very soft, that foul, in my opinion. Obviously, he got given, he was relieved. It, it, there was certainly an element of play acting yeah, uh, that, that probably got got the foul, but, uh, you know... I think when he makes a mistake, I, I can he see really what he's him and he, he looks low on confidence. And when he was coming to his corners, I mean, he's not the most authoritative <clears throat> anyways, is he, let's face it. But there was another time when he kind of no. went down, he was looking for a free kick and he didn't get it. And he was like, kind of a bit shocked at that. that he he stayed down good. expecting play to... Yeah, yeah. expecting yeah. play to stop. If that was the that ended he, with Suchek scoring as well, I think, didn't it? That... that that oh, the offside, yeah, yeah, yeah. When he was offside. Yeah, I think he regularly yeah. went back yeah. out and crossed it in, didn't he? Yeah. Went back out and crossed it That's in. right, I mean, yeah. You know, it was in off the post, he couldn't have saved it and it was offside anyway, but you are taking a risk when you when you go down and stay down looking for it. Yeah, mm. uh, Ty, you played goalkeeper in the media game. Let's get you Let's get you in between the sticks, eh? Yeah. Well, I said to Samuel last night, the media game's shaping up to be a trial at this race. <laughs> That's just be a new piece, yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll leave it there for part one. We'll be back in a moment for part two. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. 
And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Now, I am conscious of this becoming a, a De Gea special, which it, it, it won't be. But I did want to ask you about uh, Tenog's comments. An emergency there, podcast. Yeah, <laughs> just, just a special one. Because um, obviously Tenog came out and he, he backed them in his press conference. Now, I guess it was kind of, I'd say probably not surprising really, because United have got five games remaining, including an FA Cup final. And he's not exactly going to come out and hang his goalkeeper to dry, is he, when they've got five games to play? So do you think he was perhaps not being the most sincere with those comments and backing him because he he knows he needs to you know keep his goalkeeper relatively confident coming into the end of the season and then obviously maybe with a view to making a decision on his future reevaluating his future at the end of the season. Um, yeah, I, I, the thing with Tanag is he, there's been times this season where he's been really critical of the the collective and the team and and how things have gone wrong and. When they've, you know, when they've not been good enough after those heavy defeats, recent comments about the mentality in games not being good enough. I can't recall many occasions when he's thrown players under the bus, sort of individually, for mistakes. He doesn't seem to do that a lot. He's he's been critical of players who've sort of breached disciplinary rules and, and things like that. But when it comes to mistakes on the pitch, I, I can't really recall him being critical of of individuals. It's more a, a collective thing when he kind of goes for them in in press conferences. So I, you know, I guess that's just kind of his, his approach to it. And I know, I mean, De Gea is the obvious talking point, but I don't think he was ever going to come out and say, yeah, it's not good enough. Um, and, and like you say the you mentioned there, Stephen previously is, is confidence that his confidence is probably low at, at, at the moment. We were talking last night about how he'd fronted up after the Brentford game at the start of the season. And, and he'd asked to speak to broadcasters. He asked to speak to, to the, to, Traveling journalists who were who were down there, but you, you you know you you can't keep doing that after every mistake. Really, it almost becomes a self fulfilling prophecy. And as much as fans want to hear players go, yeah, sorry, I you know I, I messed up for that one. If you keep doing it, fans just want to hear players stop making mistakes, basically. <laughs> um, so I'm sure his his confidence is brittle at the moment, and that was probably Tenag's way of dealing with it. But like I say, I can't. You know, Samuel's got a, a much better memory for these things than me, but I can't recall many instances or any of, of Ten Hag sort of being critical of individual players this season for, for, for on-pitch errors. No, we'll move on then, because no, you know, well, it probably is time to move on. I think we're 25 minutes in and we've all dis- just discussed David De Gea. Um, so we'll, we'll discuss the approach, Samuel, really, because uh, Weghorst, he started uh, central attacking midfield as the number 10, which was a bit of a surprise, actually. Um, and obviously, Fernandez was on the left with Anthony on the right and Rashford through the middle. What did you make of that? Because um, for me, I would have had... Well, I wouldn't have started Weghorst um, to begin with, to be fair. It was his first start <laughs> since Newcastle. But I would have had Fernandez as the number 10. Um, were you surprised at yourself when you saw the teams were confirmed before kickoff? Uh, well, it was only yes, really after the think... yeah, They were lined up like that after kickoff. I because before uh, Weghorst was leading the line. Yeah, I don't think anybody anticipated that Weghorst would start after watching him <clears throat> up at Newcastle. I, I didn't think he'd actually start again for United because he was so... He was so hopeless in in that game. His his actual performance level yesterday was was okay. Uh, his his um, his link up play was 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 better than it than it had been in, in some of the more recent performances. It was more like at the start of his United career when he had quite a decent and quick understanding. I think after seventy minutes, he was probably the only United player who had a 
clean attempt on target as well. The, the trouble is, is that when when he plays, nobody expects him to score, and he didn't score again. And it's two tap ins in twenty seven games. He, he was applauded appreciatively by the United supporters because the, the commitment he, he never lacks for that. And very early on, he he spared De Gea's blushes after his his first. Um, his, his first kick out was intercepted by Declan Rice. He chased back and he, he won the goal kick, and that's always going to go a long way with with the match goers. And that's probably why <clears throat> why they've why, why why they warm to him more than than Marshall because with Marshall the, the, the quality is undeniable, as you saw when when he is on it, and, and, and in that running added time where he linked up brilliantly with Rashford for the best piece of play. But he just doesn't exert himself anywhere near often enough. Whereas Fake horse does, he, he does put a shift in every game. But the trouble is, United have got this, they're, they're in this merry-go-round at the moment. And Ty said about it before the game kicked off that they've started three different strikers in their last three games. They've only scored one goal in those games, which was uh, Fernandez's deflection against uh, Villa, which was which was also on the rebound from, from a goalkeeping error by Emiliano Martinez. And as, as brilliant a season as Marcus Rashford has had, he's scored five goals in his last 17 games now, which is a meagre um, return. And, and also it's coming at exactly the wrong time. The, the pressure really does build up at this time of the year. I think we've seen um, signs in Ten Hag's management that he's finding the experience of, of managing United in April and May to be extremely different to managing Ajax in, in April and May. With with Ajax, I mean, it's 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 very un- that the expectations are not particularly high there, and they certainly rode the crest of a wave when they got to the Champions League semi-finals. With United coming into April, there's been the prospect of winning two trophies. Uh, the, the consensus all along has been that they should should rather comfortably get top four, but they're doing their utmost to make that as tight a finish as possible, and. I think the pressure is telling on on a number of, of, of individuals and maybe the squad as a whole. Uh, we, we've spoken about the, the, the character defects that are still lingering there. Uh, I don't think Ten Hag is necessarily one of the figures who who has a character defect. I, I think that the way he's managed this season, by and large, has been exceptional, and uh, he's he certainly made United a better team that they have got a better mentality they have got better characters but they are still a long way off from where they need to be and with with his game management that that was somewhat of an issue again yesterday and that you've got Garnacho there who won the game against West Ham in the FA Cup and he's not used and that was topical enough for Ten Hag to be asked about it at his post-match press conference and he he said with some Justification that Sancho, Marshall, Sabitzer are good options. They're all properly fit as well because they've they've not been injured of late and they've they've been available. So they're li- liable to be fresher than Garnacho. But still, Garnacho is probably and he's probably had the more pivotal impacts as a game changer off the bench this season than Sancho and, and Marshall. And it's it's a peculiar quandary uh, Ten Hag has there. He's got three forwards. All of them, their, their best impacts this season have come off the bench. But unfortunately for United yesterday, Sancho and Martial, I mean, Sancho did next to nothing. Martial had two very good chances in added time. But again, that's that's got to be part of the frustration for, for Ten Hag in that that second half, 
United seems to just meander through it until it was announced that there was eight minutes of added time. And all of a sudden, Marshall did that link-up play with Rashford and had an opportunity to make it 1-1. For whatever reason that they did meander through that half, I don't know. I mean, when they were coming out of the tunnel, uh, I think it was Lindelof, uh, Fernandes and Casemiro were chatting um, with each other, strategizing. De Gea was having a chat with Rashford. Benny McCarthy had his arm round and was advising Anthony. Uh, and it was all talk, but no action. And you, you wonder, okay, they're, they're, they're bound to be a little bit fatigued in a season that has been taxing and you know, it, it doesn't help that the Premier League have saddled them with Thursday night games as well as uh, the Europa League. United only have themselves to blame for the Europa League schedule, but I think they're entitled to be a bit annoyed that the Premier League have given them I think four th- it'll be four Thursday night matches by the end of the season, which is an unusually high amount. But that's not an excuse for why they're in the position they're in at the moment. And unfortunately for, for United, they are in danger of bottling it in the top four. And if they don't get top four, they will have bottled it. I mean, there have been a lot of contrary takes about Arsenal uh, and their form falling off a cliff and how they've not been bottling it, actually. Well, they have been bottling it. They, they had a very, very good lead and um, they've they've lost their nerve at exactly the wrong time. And that's that's the case with United at the moment. It's just as well for them that they've got, with with three of their last four league games, three of them are at home uh, because they're away form. Again, it's 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 pretty dismal. I agree with Ganacho. I think he would have added um, something different in that game yesterday. They were getting to the, <clears> the final third and they just seemed kind of run out of ideas, devoid of creativity. I think he would have yeah, added something different, yeah. sped it up a bit, added a bit of energy. And he's very direct, isn't he? Which I think would have worked quite yeah. well. Um, it was a very, just... um, sorry, Ty, sorry. I was going to say it was a very slow performance. They, did, they didn't feel like there was much pace in it at all. They moved the ball really slowly through yeah. midfield. Yeah. They allowed West Ham to get set, and like you say, Ganacho would have done something something different. And you know, as much as we're critical of the goalkeeper, critical of a lack of firepower, there's an issue definitely in midfield as well. I think in that Casemiro's playing as badly as at any point of the season. Ericsson's not been as good um, since he returned as he was before his injury, and mm. that that's kind of showing. You've got two thirty-one-year-olds who were who were losing form at the wrong time, and, and suddenly United's midfield looks more vulnerable than it has done at, at any stage of the season. Really, how much does fatigue got to do with that then, Ty? Because they've played fifty-seven games this season, they played forty-nine in the, the entirety of last season, so it just shows you. And they've kind of played these these double weeks since almost January, back to back Thursday, Sunday. I mean, if I'm feeling a bit tired in this long season, I'm only just typing on my laptop. Surely it's starting to catch up to the players at this point. Yeah, but I've I've seen your lifestyle, Steve, and it's it's <laughs> you, you fast our young time. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think. You know, there's certainly an argument that there's fatigue in there. They they have had a tough season. They do look tired. You know, even David Moyes was feeling sorry for them last night. Although I think within that comment from Moyes, is quite a lot of pointing going. Look how hard Thursday Sunday is, lads. That that's why we're in the bottom half this season when when we've had to do that. I think it's it's probably a nice way for for to him to to shine a light on why West Ham haven't been as good as maybe expected, but. You know that they, they are undeniably tired. They are they they you know they do look fatigued, but if you know the the FA Cup final will be will be United's sixty second game this season. I think City will play sixty one maybe going for the treble or maybe it'd be sixty three actually, but either way it's very close. They've played virtually the same number of games. The City look tired, 
No, I wouldn't say so. They look to me, they look fitter than any other team in the, the league. Because they've got the best squad in the world. They seem to be peaking at the right time as well this season. Well, yeah, but they, you know, they they haven't got a deep squad at City by by any stretch of the imagination. Really, I have to disagree. Time. I don't think they have got that deeper squad. Um, you know, they've got good rotation options, but they've not got, you know, they've not got a deep squad compared to say Liverpool. Liverpool have got a deeper squad than than City. They've probably got 17 outfield players, 18 outfield players they use regularly. But beyond that, I don't think there's loads. I mean, you talk about Fernandez. I would wager that Rodri's played more minutes than Fernandez this season, um, mostly because Calvin Phillips has, has not been fit and not been good enough. So, you know, I, I don't think there's much of a contrast between... I don't think you'll find United players have played more minutes than City across the board. I think it'd be quite close. And City's players don't look tired. They're playing as well as they have done all season and with more intensity than they have done all season. So, yes, I'm sure it's an issue, but the very best players and the very best teams don't let it become an issue and don't look for excuses. So, United can't can't use that either. Um, otherwise, they're never going to win anything, are they? Because they'll be tired at, if they're tired every May because they're, they're going deep in competitions, then, well, they're never going to win anything. Because no, that's a very good point. Yeah, that's my point so, as well. You should be yeah, up for you know, the season, over it, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ten Hag said yesterday that tiredness is in the mind and mm. if you want to be successful, you're going to be playing well into you know 50-plus games a season at the very least. And it was United's fault. They they didn't have two, three midweeks in in February uh, because they didn't top their, their Europa League group. OK, with, with the Queen's death and the postponements of that, that, that did put a bit of a spanner in the works and it made February particularly... Um, particularly taxing and of course in January when they played Palace in the same week they played Arsenal but that Palace game they they should have won that they were just, they were just coasting in that that was that that wasn't tiredness dropping points that night that was complacency and Manchester City are going for a treble and they're still you know, swatting teams aside uh, quite effortlessly because they're a, they're a brilliant football team and, and also when they do make changes and that's the key thing when City make four changes they just seem to play the same if United make four changes they play in a very different way and I mean United may never even get to that level but that's that's the level they have to strive to get to so that they can have a squad where Ten Hag is more trusting of players and that there are certain players who aren't necessarily first choices but they are playing they're getting enough minutes that you know that that keep them keep them happy, keep them content, and they're also contributing. It's not easy to get to that level, especially for the few five six years as they've done it so consistently. Um, obviously it's taken a lot of money, um, but Guardiola has done a fantastic job. We'll reluctantly praise the blue side of Manchester. Supporters won't like to hear that. Um, obviously one point ahead of Liverpool. Samuel got a game in hand. Um, Wolves, Bournemouth, Chelsea, Fulham still to play. If you had to wager and you had to place a bet, where's your confidence level in this team to secure top four and end the season strongly? Because, I mean, it's it's been a funny few months. I mean, January or February, I was saying they nailed on for third. I was trying to entertain, oh, jokingly, some title talk. All of a sudden, Liverpool are right here and they're fifth, right behind them. They are. And as I said, it would be a... Colossal disaster for United if if they finish outside the the Champions League places because it has felt like for for quite some time they they'd be secure there and it's it's almost as if their season it's in danger of peaking in February which is 
I mean, that's that's dreadful. That, that would reflect horrendously on them. I mean, that's something that you'd associate with, I don't know, Swansea City when they won the League Cup in, in 2013. With them, you think, fair enough, if your season's peaking in February with, with a cup win. But there, there has been, coincidence or not, there's been a drop-off since uh, since that that cup final and look that that seven nil thrashing by Liverpool the the ramifications of that may 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 still be to come really I mean I think if you go back and look at that game you look at United's form since then I think they've not won more than than two games on the spin across all competitions and that tells you that one you know that when the pressure does mount and you do get deeper into the competitions and there's more at stake um you know football does football does silly things to to professional footballers and it did silly things to united in and they did silly things in in seville when when they went out of the europa league um that the, the semi-final win against brighton was extremely narrow it was just on a penalty shootout and they've you know, their, their performance level since that Liverpool game in, in the defeats, you know, the Newcastle defeat was a bad one, Severe was a bad one, uh, Brighton was a, maybe a, you know, it's more forgivable um, and, and the manner of it was was what really would have been quite bitter for, for Ten Hag, but they were, um, off, off, after the first 26 minutes against West Ham, they were, they were just so lacklustre and again, I, th- I think there is a, a mental fragility there and Liverpool have won, was it five or six of their last, uh, sorry, their last five or six in the league. And I don't really, look, I look at their remaining fixtures, I don't really see them dropping points. I know Leicester away is a, is a difficult one because Leicester need points on the board. They're trying to, to stay in the league and Villa are, are due at Anfield, but maybe Villa's momentum, I mean, they've, they've lost their last couple of games. So I think Europe now looks more of a long shot and maybe they won't be able to qualify for Europe when, when that game comes along. But but Liverpool, you have more faith in Liverpool to win their remaining games. I know they've not got as many games left as United, and for United the objective remains the same: it's get three wins from those remaining games, and then they've got they've got top four. I, I would expect them to be Wolves because Wolves have nothing to play for; they're they're safe in the Premier League now. Uh, Brighton will probably sorry not Brighton, Bournemouth will probably be safe by the time United go down there, but. Then you've got United's away record. The, the Chelsea game is a real funny one. Um, you, you're not quite sure what can happen there because Chelsea have got quality, but they have also been absolutely abysmal. But they, they did get a win at the weekend. What, what Will they be in a better place come that game? It remains to be seen. Fulham on the final day, it should be relatively straightforward. But if there's something to play for that day... Maybe the pressure tells again, and that's what that's what you see with with United. Um, what, what you've seen with United in in the last couple of months, it feels like when the pressure has been not even ramped up, but it's just risen a bit. They've they've started to wobble, and it's it's almost Jekyll and Hyde really at times with them because in February they coped extremely well with eight games in. 26 days I think in, in in all four competitions they came through that month tremendously they, they got the two big wins against Barcelona and Newcastle but I, I genuinely feel as though there is an element of complacency there that it's almost as if they thought well we've got the cup and we, we've got enough in the in the tank to get us through to to top four and they've maybe underestimated uh, some teams along the way I mean they certainly underestimated Sevilla in the first leg with the 
the Socrates substitutions and all that nonsense. So it's yeah, it, you can make a case for or against really with United um, to, to get in top four or, or not get in top four, but they're, they're certainly they're in danger of regressing, and and that will will be very difficult to take for for the supporters and for Ten Hag because they have. Ten Hag has overseen a lot of progress this season and for a long time it's felt like this is certain to be remembered as a successful season but you can't be as certain now. I'd agree with you. Um, your point you made about Liverpool, I fully expect them to win all their three games actually when you look at the fixtures. I think it's going to go down to the last year to the wire and I kind of just think to that Tottenham game when they were cruising 2-0 up at half-time so comfortable yeah, yeah. and threw that away. And obviously he came out after the game and he said, you know what? And he called uh, it a good point a good as well. Draw. And I took some stick on Twitter. Yeah, I, I said on Twitter, I said, look, probably not the best thing to say, Eric. Um, and someone was like, look, within, a, within the context of a season, it's not a bad result. And fair point, I took that point. But when you're a manager of Manchester... It United, wasn't a fair point, Stephen. They were talking nonsense. <laughs> them. Well, within the context of a season, I got what they were trying to say. I did get what they were trying to say. But it could come back to bite them. That's the thing in, in a few weeks' time. It could be decided by a point. It could be Europa League, um, which would be a disaster. All right, we'll just uh, be back in a moment. We'll end there for part two. We'll be back in a moment for part three. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It has turned into a day here special at the start, which we mumbled on. But we will look ahead to Wolves very briefly. Um, Tyro and Samuel said, look, he probably expects it to be a, a straightforward assignment. They've got 40 points on the board, so barring an absolute miracle, they're going to be safe and they've retained their Premier League status. Um, what are you expecting and kind of what changes would you make for the game, if any? Um, I presume maybe would you take Weghorst out of the team? Or as we've said, it's, you know what, his performance wasn't too bad, was it? That's the thing before he was... Uh, brought off against West Ham yeah I mean arguably the best player yeah. best United player on the pitch and, and sort of went off um, started the game really well he was the player who, who bailed out De Gea for his pass straight to, to Declan Rice but no I don't I don't think I'll be starting him um, you know the the other impact is that it, it has an impact on on Fernandez. We, we talked about three strikers in a week Fernandez in a week have played on the right wing the left wing and attacking midfield and you know that's not ideal either you, you've got arguably your most creative player there playing in three very different positions in the space of eight days was it um so you know that that's not ideal either you, you want some kind of continuity really um so no I would go back to that that Casemiro Eriksson and Fernandez in in actual midfield I think um and then yeah I don't know going further forward Jack Butland 
Maybe Martial. <laughs> I don't think I'll go with Jack Butland now. I think I'll go That's with De Gea still. Um, and then, yeah, I'd probably Martial, I guess. Um, but yeah, there's the, 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 the concern for United is that, like I said before, you've got Casemiro and Eriksen playing as badly as they have all season. You've got no no defenders, really. Um, you know, as well as Shaw and Lindelof have done, you've got no real options in, in defence. Um, you're having to compromise a left-back every time. I thought Malassia was okay yesterday, but he's, he's not a patch on Shaw. And then no one has really scored goals apart from Rashford all season. And he's got one in his last six or one in his last seven now, I think, which was a brilliant goal. But he's, he's not looking like scoring as often as he did. So there's a few little issues that are, that are piling up. But it, it is a free week for them. The first free week they've had, apart from an international break since late December, I think. So you would hope if 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 they are citing tiredness that this will be a chance to refresh a little bit. And, and like we said, they they really should be beating Wolves at home. They've not they've not lost at home since the opening day. Um, and you know if if they're not beating Wolves at home, then I think you are in in big trouble for for top four. You know I think there would be. Um, alarm bells ringing then, but this is the type of game that they should they should be making pretty short work of you. You'd want a more convincing performance and a few goals because, like we say, the goals have dried up a little bit. But yeah, I can't I can't really see anything beyond a, a home win because even at even at times when United have stumbled this year, when they've looked when they've looked when they've had poor performances, they've tended to get back to Old Trafford and get a win and, and sort of get back on the horse and. This is actually this week is the first time they've lost back to back games since the you know the first two games of the season. So so yeah, I would expect an, an improved performance. But I think they need it as as well. Because like I so said, I you know, I, I, I would agree that I think they'll still get top four. But if Liverpool were to keep winning and United drop points against Wolves or Bournemouth, if they went into that final week needing to beat Chelsea and Fulham at home to get top four, then you know the pressure would really be on because like we said, they've been in control of this this top four race since they got in the top four at the end of December. So to suddenly need two wins in the final four days of the season, I think would would be edgy indeed. So um, that, for me, that, that I wouldn't, you know, they they can't really afford to drop points against Wolves or Bournemouth because they just can't put themselves in that situation. Surely with the players looking a bit fatigued now, and I mean the attack looking stale and um, Ganacho lads, surely he's going to have a big part to play in these last kind of few weeks and. Obviously, he just came back from injury, but he does offer us something really different uh, on the wing to the players like Anthony and Sancho, who prefer to kind of cut inside. And he's very direct, and that could be it could work very well against Wolves, couldn't it? Uh, I think I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised not to see him off the bench, anyways. I think he's got he's got an opportunity to stake his claim for a cup final starting spot. Um, I, I still suspect that come that day. Ten Hag will see him as as more useful off the bench, given his relative inexperience and and that game changing prowess he he has as a substitute. You think of the goal against Fulham, uh, the the assist for Rashford against City in January, uh, even the the League Cup game against Villa. Uh, I think Garnacho came on United with two one down. He created two goals and they won four two. He scored against Leeds as, as a substitute. So it's it's a it's a strange quandary Ten Hag has is that he's he's got three three left wingers aged uh, 18, 23 and twenty seven, 
Marshall's le- Marshall can play on the left wing, on, on the left wing, but obviously he's mainly a striker. Um, and, and all of them this season have had their best impacts as, as, as substitutes, really. And that's that's forgivable of, of Garnacho. He, he's 18. He's, he barely made his debut a year ago. But Marshall's got two goals and 14 starts. Five to seven goals this season have been as a substitute. I think it's only two of Sancho's six have come off the bench. But his, his best performance this season was as a second half substitute against against Leicester in February. So come come cup final day, it's 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 not ideal really in that someone is probably going to be starting that Ten Hag would probably rather have, have on the bench to to call upon in, in the second half. And the the way that Merry Go Round with the strike situation is going, it's it's difficult one to play the percentages because do you go with Marshall knowing that he's almost certainly not going to complete 90 minutes and Going off current form as well, he's not really, he's not exactly scoring either. He's he's, he's not in. It's been a while since you could say that Marshall is is in good form for United. But do you is is that the play and the percentages of it? Is that the the best way to to approach the game and trying to think one step ahead as to when you can bring on Garnacho and bring on Sancho because they are probably better options to bring into a game like that than than Marshall and and, and Marshall did start and. He did okay against City for a half in, in in the Old Trafford derby before he went off injured. So it's it's very easy to look ahead to the the cup final, even though there are four very big games to come. Because as, as I've said before, there are certain players that Ten Hag he needs to give them some rhythm so that they are comfortable going into that final. And it's not a case of um, moving the pieces around all of a sudden um, for for this this one off game, this this absolutely massive game. In, in in Manchester football history, and there's, there's also the chance that he'll make a tactical tweak that day, as he did um, for, for the win against City in January. But looking to the more immediate games, I, I certainly think that Garnacho it, it'd be a surprise if he doesn't get one or two starts in the run-in. And um, Ten Hag laid down that challenge to him in in March when he said, "It's time for you to start." performing as a starter because he hadn't really done it in domestic competition. Then he did do it against West Ham and he scored the winner in the, the cup game. He's not really done it as a starter in a Premier League game. I'm, I'm struggling to think of a match where he's he's lined up in the league and he's really properly excelled. So that's that's another challenge for him uh, in the running. And if he gets that right, then, then maybe that would elevate him to a, a cup final starting place. And he needs to be given the chance to play because he's just got some brand new teeth. And he needs to show everyone those teeth. Now, really, you can't you can't sp- splash out on those gnashes and, and uh, not get some not get some force for your Instagram. It'd be an absolute waste, absolute waste. He's looking like Ronaldo already. Isn't he? <laughs> it's, it's yeah, the start yeah. of the Ronaldo transformation, isn't it? Yes, the glow me in the mix zone. Walked past me in the mix zone when I just got there last night, and it was it was only the fact he was moving that made me realise I wasn't in Madame Two Swords. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you, you were blind very, as well as you, as you walked past you covering you. Yeah. 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 Uh, thank you very much for your time, Samuel, as usual. Thank you, Stephen. And thank you, Tyrone. Thank you. And thanks to listeners, as always. We'll be back on Friday. Obviously, there's no game this week. Um, so check out YouTube, as usual. Um, all good audio platforms. We're on Spotify, Apple, etc. And have a fantastic week. We'll see you then.